need to relate to a person, not an offender. The first letter exchange is a little like a blind date, and when I recently reread his first letter to me, he stated he hoped he wouldn't be too much of a burden and interfere with my other good works. Beverly, he said, I hope you're not swamped with numerous pen pal friends and that this letter isn't one of many you do for the Fellowship Church out of compassion and good deeds. So maybe after a while I'll become a headache to you. Chaplain Pat referred me to you, so you must be okay. I hastened to reassure him that I was not earning some kind of merit badge for good deeds, but was simply interested in exploring ideas and philosophies with another adult. I gave him some basic background information, he did the same, and then we were off and writing. I generally get two handwritten letters a month, each one about six to seven pages long. The letter exchange provides him the opportunity to escape the mental numbness and negativity that prisons seem to nurture, but I would never have believed just how much this letter exchange would enrich my life and give me the opportunity to practice my faith regularly in a way I know makes a difference. The letters from Alex are some of the most interesting reading I do. I enjoy hearing about the people in his earlier life and the experiences that shaped him. He gives detailed descriptions of prison life routines and the varied cast of characters, including the guards and other inmates. Alex recently wrote to Chaplain Pat and said, I didn't know what was expected from a friendship between me and your referral. I pretty much accepted out of courtesy and spiritual obedience to your kindness. For so long, I've been an unsociable and self-imposed hermit. Beverly actually shattered all of the rude, crude, and misconstrued arguments and ideas I felt at the time. My life has honestly been the richer for it. She showed me how to look beyond the exterior to the interior and to the untried voice of conscience. She makes you more than you are, if that's possible. Flattering words indeed, but I am also more than I was. So this is not some grand work, just my attempt to feel of some value in the world and to bring some beauty and joy into another's life. The Meditation on the Meaning of a Life by Robert R. Walsh from his meditation manual, Noisy Stones, says it all. The meaning of a life is not contained within one act or one day or one year. As long as you are alive, the story of your life is still being told and the meaning is still open. What is done is done, but nothing is settled. And if nothing is settled, then everything matters. If you would like to learn more about this rewarding activity, I recommend that you check out the CLF website at clfuu.org. For more information on the UU Church of Davis, please visit our website at www.uudavis.org. The Davis High Journalism Program presents Local News from a Student Perspective. 
Welcome to this week's Dirt on Davis. For years, DHS's orchestra programs have been recognized for their abilities. The symphony orchestra is being praised for its work after the June issue of Downbeat magazine came out this month and hit newsstands nationwide. Kelsey Ewing has the story. One of the final DHS events of the year is the annual card show, which took place on Wednesday, May 25th, Page and brought crowds of curious students to the magazine, high school quad. Rubia Siddiqui with co-producer Monica Lopez-Lara has the story. Thank you for tuning into this week's Dirt on Davis. This is Grace Calhoun signing out. Dr. Angelo Moreno and his orchestra will be recognized as the best classical high school group in the nation. Um, number one, they were really shocked um, and really excited about it. And I think I'm really honored to have been recognized for all their hard work. First chair bassist and DHS senior Katie Ronning acknowledged that the competition is naturally fierce. There's a lot of really great orchestras out there too, and um, you know, we can always get better. However, the orchestra had a head start on many of the other applicants. The group meets four days a week, and members are required to play an additional 120 minutes outside of school every week. That, in comparison to most symphonies, um, is about twice as much time as most groups get in a week. Um, most college symphonies play two days, two nights a week. Most professional symphonies play three times before a concert. And so we get a lot, a lot of time to get it right. Not only has the symphony orchestra been praised for its work, but also the DHS music program as a whole was recently recognized by the Grammy Signature Foundation. And that was kind of a big deal because that means that uh, as a department, we submit CDs and all the information about our music department as a whole, and we have to have excellence in every single group to be able to win that sort of award. Mm -hmm. The symphony orchestra, along with the Baroque Ensemble and Chamber Orchestra, will play in their final concert of the year on Thursday, May 26th. This has been Kelsey Ewing with BlueDevilHub.com. One of the final DHS events of the year is the annual car show, which took place on Wednesday, May 25th, and brought crowds of curious students to the high school quad. Rubia Siddiqui with co-producer Monica Lopez-Lara have the story. DHS's annual car show took place on Wednesday, May 25th. Although this year brought cloudy skies and rain to the quad, many students still gathered around the cars to bask in their glory. Senior and student government member Emma McNeil helped organize the event. She says the categories for nomination are Best Stereo, Best 4x4, People's Choice, Best Exterior, Best Interior, Best Wheels, and Best Classic. We started putting out applications three and a half weeks ago, and we had to postpone the car show until a week later than what we were planning, which was May 25th instead of May 18th. Senior Clayton Jimenez entered his 1963 Cadillac DeVille. He says his favorite part of his car is a black and white leather interior, which he says was redone two years ago. He entered the DeVille into best interior, best classic, best exterior, and people's choice. I don't know. It's just, it's unique. It's one of its, it's like a old classic, it's like a luxury car, and it's like one of its only, it's one of the only kinds here, I guess, of that kind of car. Like, we have a bunch of classics, but all of them are like, more like muscle cars or something like that. And this is the only car that's like long and supposed to be luxurious. 
Junior Michael Yen also participated in what was his second car show by entering his Chevy Camaro in Best Exterior and People's Choice. Yen is not optimistic about winning because he has noticed that other cars have received more attention than his. No, I know. I'm not disappointed. Last year I was kind of disappointed, though, because... But last year they had way better cars than mine, I'm not going to lie. But this year I definitely thought I deserved to be, like, I don't know, top five cars. I, there was an awesome Mustang. There was, like, a Ferrari... And then there was just, like, some really stupid cars. Although he doesn't expect to win, he will not be disappointed because he participates to increase school spirit rather than to win a prize. Oh, I don't think I should win. I, I mean, it would be nice to win. I don't, I don't think that I have to win or anything. Um, I just, I just uh, want to be part of, like, the school spirit thing, you know? According to McNeil, the cars that received the most attention were the Ferrari Cadillac and a truck with an impressive sound system. This is Rabia Siddiqui, BlueDevilHub.com. Thank you for tuning into this week's Dirt on Davis. This is Grace Calhoun signing out. Here it is! From deep inside your radio. From London, England. Come for the riots, stay for the arrests, ladies and gentlemen. Which uh, reminds me, now, just ask in department, because I don't know anything. But, you know, police are, are human beings, just like the rest of us. And uh, you may have noticed that when they put computers in restaurants, waiters spent less time looking at you and more time looking at the computer. Because, no, you're nice, you're fine. But, let's face it, computers don't get drunk. In the same way, when they put uh, computers in police cars, I, th- I think in Los Angeles this happened. Um, police spent less time actually eyeballing the street. They'd sit in their car and, you know, look at the computer because it's the computers don't computers aren't armed. And so we had London last month. And, um, you know, London is the most surveillance camera city on the face of the earth. And if I were a policeman, I know what I'd be doing when rioters came out in the streets. It's, well, we've got cameras. We'll go look at the footage overnight and arrest them tomorrow. And nothing makes any police department in the world look better than big, big, fat arrest numbers. Just saying. Just asking. Just saying. Just asking. It's London, ladies and gentlemen. And speaking of London... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole. An unprecedented security lockdown of British airspace over Olympic venues to prevent a 9-11-style attack will push British aviation companies to the brink of bankruptcy, according to the industry. Aircraft that fail to comply with a no-fly zone over London and vast swaths of southeast England face being shot down by military Apache helicopters. A month-long clampdown beginning next July will restrict all but essential flights over London to prevent any aircraft, including micro-lights and hang gliders, from being used in a terrorist attack on games, venues, or other disturbances. Similar restrictions will apply over the sailing venues 
and over the football stadiums in Coventry, Cardiff, Manchester, Glasgow, and Newcastle. Aircraft entering restricted airspace will require permission from Royal Air Force wing commanders or face being shot down by the military. The aviation industry claims the restrictions are too draconian and will drive some companies such as flight schools out of business. They warn the clampdown will span the industry's two busiest months. Some aviation firms estimate potential losses could amount to about half a million dollars. No compensation is being offered. Not even by the official sponsor of the Olympics, BP. Martin Robinson, chief executive of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, said if they have to shut the airspace down, the loss of income would be so damaging, it's hard to see how the businesses will recover. That would be a terrible legacy for the Olympics, he said. Dennis Campbell, deputy chairman of the Booker Gliding Club, says it's an astonishing irony that as a direct consequence of a national sporting celebration, we, a recognized sporting club with a distinguished heritage, may be destroyed. A Ministry of Defense spokesman said it would not be appropriate to discuss any security plans in detail at this time. The Olympics, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's dangerous, all right. But it's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And one more London note, or one more British note, uh, from Mark in Devon, southwest England. Dear Harry, just walked into my local home fair store, only to find a sign inviting me to go and check out their new range of Christmas crafts and decorations now on sale. When I asked a member of the sales staff why they were starting so early, she replied, it was because of customer, customer demand. Looking over the checkout counter, the two people in line were buying a set of bathroom scales. And a beach ball. That, I believe, would be, Mark, it's even before American Labor Day. Of course, that doesn't exist anymore. More about that later. But that would be, according to our records, the earliest Christmas. Hello. Welcome to the show. From Leicester Square in London, England, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. What's happening with News Corp? Yeah, really. Insiders say there was a big family row at the height of the crisis in July, the week after the News of the World newspaper closed here in London, and members of the, uh, well, Rupert and James Murdoch testified before Parliament. Members of the Murdoch clan descended on the company's London headquarters to work out their battle plan, but within days, James's sister Elizabeth had walked out because, in the words of one observer who asked not to be named, quote, she had had enough of it all. Oh, but her father paid her $250 million for her business. Why not? She was not in London to advise or support Rupert or James when they appeared before Parliament the following week, in marked contrast to her other brother, Lachlan. Now those close to the... This is from The Guardian, which is another newspaper, not owned by Rupert Murdoch. Those close to the family worry the only options are fratricide or patricide. Place your bets. And Elizabeth emphatically denied saying in a private conversation at a New York book launch in July, 
that Rebecca Brooks, former head of News International here in England, and her brother James had, quote, but redacted, quote, effed the company. Nice people. News lim- not Meanwhile, in Australia, a columnist for the Rupert Murdoch-owned newspaper, The Australian, had written a column in which he said the Prime Minister of Australia was, quote, implicated, albeit unknowingly, in a major union fraud, unquote, before she'd entered Parliament. The column was quickly withdrawn after the Prime Minister complained. The Australian apologized to her and acknowledged the allegations were untrue. Nice people doing nice things. And now, news from outside the bubble. From the Independent on Sunday, Britain's top corporate chieftains can look forward to pensions that have soared by 70% in less than a decade and are now at record levels, according to new statistics being published this week. The five biggest pension funds of directors of the largest companies are worth more than, whoa, $120 million combined, nearly 600 times greater than the figure that the average retirement fund of five working UK persons would come to. The sheer size of the funds set for their retirement could give four of the five top corporate directors annual incomes of more than a million and a half dollars. The findings illustrate a widening gulf between high earners and their workers. The growth in directors' pensions has more than doubled that of the average Britain over the same period, a 30% rise. The news provoked angry reactions. Public sector workers, including nurses and teachers, are going to work longer and pay more to close a black hole in their pensions expected to widen from $5 billion to $10 billion within seven years. Says the managing director of the Pensions Investment Research Consultants, there's a basic unfairness in that most of these companies have been shunning final pension schemes or winding them down, as well as the disparity between the schemes that employees are being forced into and what directors are effectively paying themselves in terms of pension provisions. Hey, the rich get richer. What do you want? The Gaddafi regime in Libya warned British officials that there would be dire consequences for relations between the United Kingdom and Libya if Lockerbie bomber Abdel Basset al-Megrahi died in his Scottish jail cell, it now turns out. The extent of lobbying by the Libyan government leading up to Megrahi's release two years ago is laid bare in documents discovered by reporters in the abandoned British embassy building in Tripoli. In one seen by the Mail on Sunday, senior foreign office official Robert Dixon wrote to his uh, boss that Muammar Gaddafi wanted Megrahi returned to Libya, quote, at all costs. He added, if it didn't happen, quote, we believe Libya might seek to exact vengeance. Other documents discovered in Tripoli apparently indicate that the British spy service traded information with their Libyan, with their Libyan counterparts. The security service provided intelligence on British-based Libyans opposed to the Gaddafi regime, according to the Sunday Times. In return, and the uh, agency received updates on disclosures of terrorist suspects under interrogation in Libyan prisons, many of them rendered there by the CIA, which we've also learned from these papers. Among the finds is a letter that then-British Prime Minister Tony Blair wrote in 2007 to help Gaddafi's son Saif with his Ph.D. thesis. It begins, quote, Dear Engineer Saif, and is signed off, Best wishes, yours sincerely, Tony Blair. 
unquote. The uh, papers contained communications between British and Libyan security ahead of Blair's desert tent meeting with Gaddafi. Britain is said to have, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is, to me, this is the buried lead right here. Britain is said to have helped the Libyan dictator with his speech writing. You know those speeches, those memorable speeches he gives? Thank the Brits. No, I'm serious. Thank them. That's good work. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. It is copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... News of the atom, Addy, back in the UK. I know. It's cold. It's warm, it's cold. I can't handle it. You're a very sensitive atom. I am. I'm unstable. Sounds like you're getting a cold. Uh, Multiple features of the control room staff, multiple, sorry, multiple failures of the control room staff at the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. It's in Massachusetts, hence the name. Last spring, parked the power plant's first emergency shutdown in years. According to a report released this week by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, it found the problems were likely serious enough to warrant a rigorous year-long review of the plant's safety procedures. The commission says its conclusion is is the violations were of low to moderate safety significance. That level occurs infrequently at U.S. nuclear plants. The commission made nine such findings last year. Only two others were considered of greater security concern. Only two others. Two others. It's rare for us to take this kind of action, said the commission spokesman. Yeah, I bet. Many experts warn warn that the Fouke crisis is just beginning, according to The Independent. Professor Tim Musu, a biological scientist who has spent more than a decade researching the genetic impact of radiation around Chernobyl, says he worries that many people in Fukushima are, quote, burying their heads in the sand. Doesn't sand block radiation? Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? His Chernobyl, Chernobyl research concluded that biodiversity and the numbers of insects and spiders had shrunk inside the irradiated zone, and the buried population showed evidence of genetic defects, including smaller brain sizes. We've heard that before on this broadcast. Deadline Washington, the historic earthquake that shut down Dominion Resources Incorporated's North Anna nuclear plant last week may have exceeded what the reactor was designed to withstand, according to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. It's dispatched an additional team of inspectors to the Virginia plant that was rocked by the quake last week after initial reviews indicated the ground motion may have gone beyond the plant's design. Or, to quote this Reuters story, may have went beyond the plant's design. Reuters. Oh, Reuters. The North Anna plant cannot be restarted until the operator can show that no functional damage occurred to equipment needed for the safe operation according to the NRC. I am so reassured. And the Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA, may have to spend more than $10 million for an intensive set of nuclear regulatory inspections at the utility's Browns Ferry nuclear plant. The inspections come on the heels of its recent red rating, the worst given by the NRC, before a plant is shut down entirely. Spokesman for the TVA says the utility is still working on a budget to cover 
the preparatory and support work for the stepped-up inspections at the plant. The TVA must pay for the NRC inspector's time, which could add up to more than $800,000. The total expenditure for the added stepped-up inspections, more than $10 million. Will that be hand, uh, passed on to ratepayers, do you think? Bets? Put your money down. Come on. At Brown's Ferry, quote, there was a performance deficiency with missed opportunities for safety testing, said the NRC. The missed safety testing opportunities meant TVA was unaware for 18 months that a key valve on a reactor cooling system was inoperable. That came to light only on October 23 as TVA tried to shut down the reactor for refueling. Um, To overcome that problem, TVA used another water line that was supposed to be dedicated strictly to fire safety. That was a design put in after a 1975 fire at the plant that damaged control cables. That fire in 1975, you'll like this, was started by a worker using a candle to search for air leaks. Because they train them. They train them up. They train them up real good. Hey, don't knock the training. Free. I know. I went over to the microphone. All right. Clean, safe, cheap, too safe to meter. Our friend, the Adam, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing new in WikiLeaks, of course, except arguing about who leaked the WikiLeaks. But the Iraqi government is going to launch a new investigation into one of the most controversial incidents of the Iraq war after the release of a diplomatic cable alleging that U.S. soldiers handcuffed and executed women and children during a 2006 raid, and the troops were also accused of calling in an airstrike to destroy evidence. The, uh, the cable released this week revealed that a U.N. official, Philip Alston, told the U.S. in 2006 he had received information that all the residents of the house had been shot, ladies and gentlemen, in the head, you see. Hearts and minds. Well, they, shot, they were shot in the mind. And, and now news of AFPAC... At least one in seven Afghan soldiers walked off the job during the first six months of this year. Well, that's good exercise, at least. That's according to statistics compiled by NATO that show an increase in desertion. The surge is working. Between January and June, more than 24,000 soldiers walked off the job, more than twice as many as in the same period last year. Well, some things on the up curve. Some Afghan officials say the figures point to the vulnerability of a long-standing Afghan policy that prohibits punishment of deserters that was aimed to encourage recruiting and allow for flexibility during harvest time when the number of deserters spikes. A buried lead in an AFPAC story, this is a, a press release from the ISAF Joint Command noting that they killed a key affiliate of the Al-Qaeda network this week. The buried lead is down at the bottom, ladies and gentlemen. We were told by the CIA uh, a year or so ago that there were probably 100 al-Qaeda operatives remaining in Afghanistan. Down at the very bottom of this press release from ISAF, quote, Coalition security forces have captured or killed more than 40 al-Qaeda insurgents in eastern Afghanistan this year. If I'm doing my math, that means they're down to 40. What are we paying now for each one? I'm just asking. But defense contractors have wasted or lost to fraud as much as $60 billion over the past 10 years. 
according to a report by the Commission on Wartime Contracting in Iraq and Afghanistan. The report this week will exacerbate fears that fiscal discipline, <laughs> fiscal discipline at the U.S. Pentagon, they actually wrote this, is lacking at a time when looming budget cuts could lead to greater reliance on outside contractors. At least $31 billion had been wasted through poor planning and management, $12 million a day since the invasion of Afghanistan. The government remains unable to provide effective large-scale contract management and oversight, says a former congressman who co-chaired the commission. This fact, he said, was troubling, considering the con- contractors have been part of the force for more than 20 years. Yet the government was not prepared to go into Afghanistan in 2001 or Iraq in 2003 using large numbers of contractors. Preparation, schmepperation. Infuriated that Washington and, sec- and met secretly at least three times with a personal emissary of Taliban leader Mullah Omar, the Afghan government intentionally leaked details of the clandestine meetings, scuttling the talks and sending the Taliban intermediary into hiding. This according to the Associated Press. Senior U.S. officials acknowledge that the talks imploded because of the leak. He uh, is now in Germany, the uh, intermediary, because he fears retaliation. The AP sought comment from President Karzai's office. Didn't get any um, reply. So uh, apparently the Karzai administration didn't like the United States talking secretly to the Taliban. And here's a clue. Most Afghans want a binding security pact with the United States that would keep American troops in Afghanistan indefinitely, according to a senior advisor to President Karzai this week. Negotiations for such a pact have lagged in part because some in the Afghan government are trying to sabotage it, he said. He's apparently referring to factions within the weak central government with ties to Iran or Pakistan or the Taliban. The agreement now in the drafting stage would give the U.S. use of Afghan-run or jointly-run bases after 2014 when the formal combat role is set to end. Senior U.S. officials say a central function is to provide assurance to Afghans that the U.S. will not shut the door on Afghanistan in 2014. U.S. officials stress that U.S. military presence will be at Afghanistan's invitation. The agreement is not expected to include firm deadlines for the close of U.S. operation in Afghanistan. Though after nearly 10 years of this war and many of the other one, many Afghans are weary of foreign troops and blame the flood of U.S. cash for various security and stability programs for disturbing the economy and sucking up a core of talented Afghans for contract labor. I think you know what this sounds like. From Afghanistan Public Radio, where Bob Edwards still does the morning show. From the newly refortified presidential palace in downtown Kabul, we put it down in downtown. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're safe and sound, the Survivor Brothers. <laughs> this is Cars I Talk. And of course, we welcome a new member of the Cars I Talk family today. <laughs> and I don't mean an affiliate in Kunduz. <laughs> I mean a new brother, Mahmoud. Since Wally's uh, gone onto the public radio studio in the sky, 
Mahmoud is my new partner. Welcome, brother. Oh, thank you, Hamid. I, I feel almost like the number three guy in Al-Qaeda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So far, they've only killed one of my partners. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's uh, tell our listeners something about you, Mahmoud. Mm. You own the only Toyota dealership in the country mm -hmm. and the only cement factory in the country. Hey, everybody's got to own something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm. someone might wonder what connection is there between cement and Toyotas. Dear brother, mm -hmm. main customer for both is your government. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there's more truth than poetry there. There was no poetry then. <laughs> <laughs> My older brother's got this wing of this show already. Hey, I got an orientation the easy way. Oh. How's that? I bribed the producer. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Hello, this is uh, Taliban Andy. Oh, he talks like he knows you. Oh, hey, all my people talk like they know me. It's my common touch. Oh, dear younger brother, mm. the most common thing about your touch is that you only have your robe dry cleaned every other day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I talk like I know him because we had some meetings together. The uh, Americans brought us over to the palace. Mm. I got to use the jacuzzi. Oh, that's got a common touch, too. Oh. They only clean the filter once a year. <laughs> 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 uh, seriously, we never really had meetings per say, just oh. some conversations about whether meetings should be on the agenda, if we ever got around to having an agenda. Mm -hmm. But Andy, mm -hmm. what, what, what's your question? Well, the Americans said I could get my parking at the palace validated. Hey, Andy, if you always believed what the Americans say, you wouldn't be in the Taliban to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm not full-time Taliban. Oh, what else do you do? Weekday mornings, I'm a teller at the Kabul Bank. Do well, then my older brother signs your salary checks. Actually, that's the other thing I called about. Mm. <laughs> I think he's cashing them too. <laughs> well, you see, this is why we need to have the Americans stick around a while longer. Uh. Parking validation systems are something we, we just haven't got the hang of yet. But uh, do hold on to your stubs. Also to your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on... You know, I really didn't cash his checks. Uh, no, I'm sure. Because all the bank's cash is in Dubai. Yeah, well, it's safer there. Yes. Also, it's warmer there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on cars, I talk. Uh, hi, I'm a first-time caller, long-time American general. Oh, I don't know whether to salute you or... Send you a tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> General, thank you for your service. Well, on behalf of at least some of my men, uh, thank you for your products. <laughs> That's my late half-brother. Mm. This one doesn't uh, deal in such items. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, General, mm -hmm. do you have an order or just a question? <laughs> uh, no orders today. No, oh, that's a relief. I haven't gotten around to spit shining my sandals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do have a question. Uh, when do you think my troops might be saying goodbye to this lovely country? Well, if what I overhear is correct, General, mm -hmm. uh, they say it every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, really, as in for the last time. Uh, General, let me be like our Jewish friends for a moment and answer your question with a question. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw Afghan army troops in action? Well, sir, 
I saw them in the field about a week ago, but I wouldn't call what they were doing uh, action. Well, sir, would you leave your country in their protection? Well, now you're answering my question with two questions. Even our Jewish friends don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) General, if I can speak for my younger brother, I think he'd like to have American troops stay here until Afghanistan can find a new location. What, for a base? No, sir, for the country. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for calling, sir. And that's all the wisecracks we've prepared for this edition of Cars I Talk. You may think you're hearing my theme tune, but it's just what I like to call Mahmoud music. (laughs) (laughs) We had help today from the Kabul Bank, making America's banks look good by comparison. Legal services for Cars I Talk by the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. Be sure to join me and my brother Mahmoud next time for another edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. All the days, all the nights, all the beautiful betweens, those moments full of life, they were there to take so freely. This is the show. <laughs> this is the show. And, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Labor Day weekend in the United States, which I, I, at the be- beginning of this segment, I have to say it's it slightly boggles the mind. If the mind can be slightly boggled, semi-boggled, that this would be the first Labor Day, Labor Day in the living memory of most Americans where a certain event on television will not occur. And I'm speaking... I think you know, of course, of the Labor Day Jerry Lewis telethon. Um, a bewildering series of developments this year. Uh, Jerry Lewis announced that this was going to be his last telethon. Of course, he's getting on in years, has health problems. Uh, he said it would be his last telethon, the last time he'd sing You'll Never Walk Alone at the end. A month later, the Muscular Dystrophy Association issued a very... Ta- uh, t- uh, taciturn press release saying he was not going to host the telethon. He was not going to be replaced as the chairman of the muscular dystrophy. Just kind of get out of here. Now, this is to the guy, better or worse, like it or not. And if you read the article that's now on my website, you know where, where I am at on all this. But as I say in the article, like it or not, he made this particular disease, a star. And uh, so it's it's bizarre, it's weird. If something was wrong, maybe uh, since it's a public show and a public agency, they should say it publicly. If not, it's just a weird, weird development. So to sort of compensate, to sort of mark this occasion, a very personal collection, ladies and gentlemen, of telethon memories. For the umpteenth tier, for the umpteenth time... The umpteenth time, I introduce to you a gentleman who reeks with professional know-how, who has a abandon when it comes to his professional expertise. What he doesn't ever really have an opportunity to expound on is the humanity aspect of a gorgeous human being, and you have to know him. And uh, oddly enough, 
The people that watch him in the professional syndrome know him to be a terrific man, and they feel that wonderful chemistry that comes along the most penetrating medium in the world, television. But I stand here with deep pride to proclaim he is my friend and I am his. Mr. Ed McMahon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Nice to be with you once again. Thank you, Ed. I think, I think it's very important to make two disclaimers. I have to do this because my instinct usually serves me well. One, the early hours of the morning, people that are seated in a studio, it's hardly possible for you to be totally energetic and enthusiastic. But these performers are coming from all parts of the world to help us. They have no way of knowing our appreciation or gratitude. They only know and live and survive on an audience's applause. So if you would be kind enough, as long as you indeed are the audience in this studio, if you could just acknowledge that, it only takes a moment, and I repeat, any do good doctor will tell you, it's good for the system, because you'll atrophy sitting there. It would be good for you to applaud, and it makes the performers feel good, and then it lessens my load of having to let them know that we are indeed grateful, because that's just words. Who says they really believe that? They only understand applause. So I would appreciate it if you'd consider that the next time a performer steps on the stage. The second disclaimer, is that a VTR, or videotape recording, of Mr. Kirk Douglas. Some people are disappointed that he isn't standing stage center. Kirk Douglas would love to be here. He took the time to go to a studio and make that videotape recording for my kids. He had to go to Europe or somewhere. Therefore, he wasn't available for this date. He took the time to make that vi videotape recording, just as many other performers do. I think they're entitled to the same applause as the performer that's here live. So if you'll consider that, it'll make... He ain't gonna hear you applaud, but I'm gonna tell him you did it good. Okay? Good. Earlier in the program, I committed to taking some of the press to task. And to be completely honest with you, I attempted to do that one hour and a half ago, one hour ago, and then I found myself procrastinating and uh, I am at a point now where there is no further procrastination. I, I have to do what I must do. I have to take some of the media to test. To have to stand here and qualify our conduct and our actions based on doing what we do. So I thought, and I wrote on the page, I've been seriously thinking about doing some work against humanity just to see what some of the press would say of that. They probably wouldn't say anything different. Jerry is. Jerry is what Jerry is. He gets it on. He gets it on the real showbiz way. And I'm a narrow fool. I'm an Arab who adores that Jew Because he does it He does it his way If you look at that toad board, I think you'll see $15,635,024 And the witch did it again Do you believe that? Ed McMahon called it at 9.30 last night Or this morning 9.30 this morning. I think I'm going to be under those here. The way Wait a minute. You said 15.7, and right. I said, why don't you have your head put into a cuckoo factory, didn't I? Right. You called me a banana.
Now, for those that were offended because I said the man upstairs goofed, I'm not going to come out and apologize to you because that's what I believe. I'm a very religious man, and for those God-fearing people that think that I might have put down God by saying he goofed, if you are indeed religious, and if you indeed believe in God, then you must believe that he's fallible. Then you must believe he can, in fact, make an error. You must believe if there is a God, and I believe there is, he's got to have a lot on his mind, too. And he just happened to make a little error here. For those of you that were offended when I said the man goofed, I apologize for that. But I'm not going to take it back, because that's what I think. I hope he's listening and he's not too mad at me, because maybe he'll send a few dollars. If that man is indeed a hero to that child, let that child have a hero. We need heroes. We don't have enough heroes anymore. The last hero that we all clung to was a dear friend of mine, Jack Kennedy. When Jack Kennedy died, we forgot the word hero. If in that child's mind I or whoever plays this role is a hero, so be it. Don't extract that from that child. That child has had enough extracted. So, poof, you're a hero. Leave the child alone. Adults know that that is a coin phrase, and it's a phrase that's a little uncomfortable. They're not my children. I have six healthy children. And because of that, my kids have become a part of my breath and my lifestyle. I care for them. Why am I a criminal? Why is this platform a criminal? What we are doing here is great work. It would have meant that rather than the world at war, for only the entire history, time and memorial, we've only been at peace 557 days in the last 17,000 years. Had they had telephones, we'd have had peace, I'm sure. Is that idealistic? Is that old-fashioned mid-Victorian? Is that stupid? Is that rhetoric? No, that's what I believe. Lewis has to resort to melodramatic means to keep people watching. Maybe. I'll resort to any means. I did not call this company together and build this structure and demand that we have a full network so that I don't get your attention. Did we do all of this so that we hope no one would watch? Most of the trouble in our world today is because no one can interpret what the Russian says to the Yugoslavian. How do we know the interpreters indeed saying what the Russian is saying? So there's an imbalance, and then there's, there's tenuousness, there's uncertainty. It's like the old joke. The lady is in the pool, and the lifeguard says, Lady, don't you see that sign? She says, What sign? He says, That sign that says, No swimming allowed. She said, That's how you read it. The way I read it, it says, No, swimming allowed. Well, interpretation changes it, doesn't it? So that when the Russian says, Tell the Yugoslav, we love him, huh? And he interprets, they love you. Oh, that's terrific. And he walks right into the trap and his legs come off. What must I do? Not be melodramatic? Let's help this clown put empty down. He'll do it his way.
orchestra, please repeat this vocal so I can do this. It's like an arrangement. You, the brass will take this. My lane, Strings just take moment, moment. My lane, Moment, moment. Good. I just want the saxes. Saxes. Ready? My lane, Right now, our people are back at Beach Stick Central trying to add up the totals from our great customers and all our people that are out there selling the beef stick and cheese balls, the proceeds of which they're totaling up. And Bill Pendarvis will be here tomorrow to bring you some money, but I'll give you a little something to start us off. I'd appreciate a cheese ball will do. <laughs> Is that all? No, no, no. Come on, Larry. Don't cock around. I think that the magic of this whole thing is that a man stands before you and he's not ashamed. And I'm very lucky that I can do that because that's hard. I, I don't like to be ashamed. And yet I'm not ashamed that I am ashamed. And people believe that in anyone. You should try it. You have a lot of friends. It's hard. But for what the odds are on this crap table, that's really putting yourself in second position. I don't want to see nobody's face, Ken. Give me a break so I can do this, and maybe I can lay down for an hour. Healthy children, laughing, running, playing. Silent questions show in my kids' eyes what to answer somehow. Somehow my kids trust me Still I can't explain The reason why Help me to help them come 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 along with me No, not just a few I mean all of you This is the moment I would like to call your attention in the studio and the attention of the viewers at home to please watch this actor and listen to what he says for 21 and a half hours, day in and day out. Never will there be words as significant and as relevant as the words you're about to hear through the eyes, the heart, and the soul of this man that you're about to see.
hate people, especially children. I like to sneak up on them when they're only two or three or four years old, when their bodies are straight and healthy and full of bounce and fun, full of life and joy. When they're saying, look at me, look at me, see how high I can jump. And look at me, Mom. Watch me catch the ball. Look at me, Dad. See how fast I can run? Those are the little ones I like to pull down. Because I hate people, especially children. It makes me laugh when they can't stand up. Let man hurl himself into the galaxies and take snapshots of the moon. But down here, on this earth where I prowl, he is still unable to find a cure for the scourge of little children. For I am muscular dystrophy, the hater of people, especially children. And I dare you to stop me. It will take more money, more time, more science, and more love than you have yet been willing to give. Yes, I am muscular dystrophy. I hate people, especially children. And I dare you to stop me. I dare you. The actor was Steve Franken, a good friend and a man who I really had to beg to do that material, written by Bud Schulberg, helping us make our point. We feel it is the most meaningful piece of literature written about my kids ever since the inception of this organization. We thank Bud Schulberg and Mr. Steve Franken for doing a most superb performance, portraying a disease that's hardly easy. And for the newspaper man who said, quote, Jerry Lewis refers to these crippled children as his kids, quote, end quote. That stabs me a little bit because what the newspaper man is referring, or what he is inferring, is that it's that terribly saccharine maudlin term that I selected because it would give me some degree of popularity and or I was using my kids quote end quote so I would endear myself to the American public. So for the newspaper man, I'll never mention his name, he ain't getting that from me. Please know that I was a very famous star for a lot of years before I ever needed to remind anyone I was still alive. One, two. the most important. Two is the most important because my kids like that they are my kids. My kids refer to me as their special man. They are my kids. We got a good thing going between them and me. Before me, they were just people floating around with nobody to hang their wishes or hopes or dreams on. And it could have been anyone that did it. I just happened to do it. It sticks in my throat to say my kids only because it is smacking of maybe that's a little heavy. I can't be concerned with what the public thinks about it's too heavy. They like it. And for those that understand, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not understand, no explanation will suffice. But I made it anyhow. turning and it's fighting me I haven't got the time to deal with that I can't even confer with it 
and it's it's starting to steam me. It keeps moving, and it's attacking my uh, energy system. So if you don't pick up the phone and help me with these numbers, if I strike out, it ain't going to be all that bad, because that's pretty respectable, but it's going to be less than last year. If we come up less than last year, here's all of the cop-outs. The economy, inflation, if we had another president, and all of that garbage, that's a cop-out. It's your fault, and it's mine. I missed, I struck out, I didn't do the job. Somewhere I failed. Okay, I'll deal with that. He ain't gonna love me any less. My whole ego trip I've been accused of ain't gonna be diminished, because if I'm on an ego trip, whether you do or you don't, ain't gonna change anything. I don't care what you think, okay? I know what I am. I know what I think. I know what I believe. If you want to put me down for this preachment, start. 31 years of begging, trying, pleading, crying. I grip my feelings bare. Hoping, praying, I made you aware. Help me to help them now. so hot like a Latin fire what we've got is the next messiah though we sing and laugh what we are really trying to stop thank you for the invitation with a lack of reservation in my humble estimation you're the top I therefore wrote something, and I would just like to let you hear what it says. I didn't want to put it on cue cards, and I couldn't memorize it in time, but they're the words that I hit with my fingers at the typewriter. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the all-new Labor Day telethon against muscular dystrophy is just about over. It's just about over. Louis. That's the cue. And while my heart is happy, and I hope to feel a deep sense of pride, thanks to your response and your support, there's also a feeling of sorrow. And I think that sorrow stems from the fact that we have to do a telethon in the first place. I suspect if I live another 100 years, I'll never understand the why of what's been perpetrated upon my kids. And I know the good Lord says we shouldn't question. But I've always been a man filled with curiosity and wonderment about life and the human condition. And so now I will spend the next year curious again, anxious again, full of prayer again, that our labor of love this day will be the beginning of the end of this muscular dystrophy telethon. And if that is to be, you all have my deepest gratitude and my love for helping me have that happen. If it isn't to be, 
then I must start questioning again. But with the questions will come the same dedication, the same hard work, hope, and continued hate 